He is risen. As we approach Easter Day, we tend to, to do lots of fun things, don't we? We fill it with lots of joy because it is indeed a joyful day, isn't it? We decorate eggs with whimsical colors and we, we order chocolates from the Vermont Country Store with uh, absolute abandon. That might just be us, but... Uh, we talk about bunnies and we watch adorable cartoons and, and it's springtime, new life, right? It's fun. It's good. As Jesus began his ministry on this earth, as, as Jesus looked forward to the approach of Easter morning, because Jesus knew the scriptures, he knew them from a very young age, he knew exactly what was in store for him. He knew the glory and the joy of Easter morning. How did he prepare people for it? Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was the message of Jesus as he looked towards the glory of Easter day. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 15. See, see, Jesus came with, with a message of warning, didn't he? He came with a, a hard message for many to hear. There weren't many bunnies or flowers or chocolates falling out of his pockets, were there? And this is God's call to us. This is God's call to you. Whoever you are, wherever you found yourself, anyone and everyone. What does John 3.16 say about who can come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Whosoever, right? Whosoever, anyone who believes by faith in Jesus Christ shall not perish but have everlasting life, right? Anyone, whosoever. What is it that defines you? What is it that, that makes you who you are? Is it your skin color? Is it your gender? Is it your social status? Is it your past? Do your, do your sins keep creeping up on you and reminding you or trying to knock you down? Is it your religious behavior that establishes who you are in your community, in your church? As we read our passage today, we're going to see Jesus just surrounded by people from all walks of life. Some of them give glory to God. Many of them are mocking. Others are found lamenting and mourning what they are witnessing before them that day. Each one is responding to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in, in a different way. But there is, absolute, there, there is only one person in this passage, in this particular passage, that is given the promise of eternal life. Only one person out of all the responses that Jesus receives only one is given the promise of eternal life. 
paradise is the word that Jesus uses. So, so I think it's important that we know what it is that set him apart from all the others. What, it is, what is it about his reaction that was so distinctively different from the other reactions from the other people? What is it that defined this man? Why did Jesus promise him paradise? Go ahead and open your Bibles up to Luke. It's the third book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you get to John, you've gone too far. We're going to look at Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, and we are going to start at verse 26. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 23, 26 says, And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and all the women who'd followed him from Galilee stood at a distance, watching these things. The reading of God's word. Thank you very much for standing. Go ahead and be seated. In our passage here, we, we see all kinds of people surrounding Jesus, don't we? Observing the crucifixion, taking it in and seeing what they see. 
Um, we, we have the first person we're introduced to is Simon the Cyrene. Cyrene was the capital of a province, a Roman province in North Africa. He was just coming in from the country. Verse 27, we see women who are, who are lamenting and, and they're culturally less valued at the time. We see in verse 32, criminals, two of them, who likely broke both the law of God and the Roman law. Verse 35, we see a crowd of people and the rulers of those people, those privileged, the elite of the society, those rulers. Verse 36, there's Roman soldiers who would have been the ones performing the crucifixion. In 47, we see the centurion who would have led them. In 48, there's more crowds. And in 49, we see the acquaintances of Jesus listed and the women who had followed him from Galilee. All these different kinds of people, all these different sorts of people. African, European, Gentiles, Jews, Middle Easterners, men, women, the social elite, the outcasts, and even criminals. Each responding to Jesus and his crucifixion in a different way. In verse 27, we see those who are mourning and lamenting, shedding tears. In verse 34, we see the casting of lots as the soldiers make this an occasion for entertainment and greed, using Jesus for self-centered profit. In verse 35, we have those who are just watching and those who are scoffing. 36 moves on to mocking. In 39, those, the, one of the criminals is railing, and the word there in the Greek is blaspheming, cursing who Jesus is. Verse 47, a centurion is praising God after he sees everything, and he takes it all in out of just shock and awe of what's going on and what Jesus said. In verse 48, the crowds leave beating their breasts in remorse. Whoever you are, Gentile or Jew, man or woman, whatever your skin color or your nationality, the events surrounding Jesus Christ are things that you will have to face. Look them full on as you read through this scripture. Because if we don't face it now, we are going to have to face it later. Of all these people, all these different kinds of people, and of all their different reactions, here in this passage, did you see the one? Did you see the one who was promised eternal life paradise? With Jesus that day? Jesus did not promise paradise to the centurion for his overwhelmed praise of God. He did not offer it to those who mourned and lamented for the tears they shed. And he did not offer it to the rulers for their religious righteousness, did he? Verse 39. 
It says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, blasphemed him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He's offered paradise. But he's a criminal. His sins are out there for everybody to see. Uh, the, the word here, he, he's, he's an outcast of society, isn't he? The word here is literally an evildoer, a malefactor, someone who has done or does bad things, somebody who's done something wrong, something evil. Isn't that a rather ambiguous word? An evildoer. Somebody who's done something wrong. It's not very specific, is it? I think it's a rather ambiguous word in this passage, very much on purpose. Who here has never, ever, ever done something wrong? Something sinful, something evil in their entire lifetime, as long or short as it might have been. Never been selfish never put someone or something else before God in our lives, never lied, no matter how small or white it might be, how much it might have been for somebody else's benefit, right? Never stolen anything, never hated anyone, never lusted after somebody, never desired something that belonged to somebody else. I know you passed all those, right? Here's the hard one. You always honored your father and your mother. Right? Yeah. As for me, I was driving to church this morning at 6 in the morning, and there's nobody out. No cars, no nothing. And I hit a red light, and I'm stopped. And I'm going, okay, it's red. It's still red. Why is this light red? There's nobody going. And I'm getting mad at this inanimate light, right? Because it's staying red. And, and you know, patience is my greatest virtue. <laughs> it's in all of us, isn't it? This man, this criminal, next to Jesus is an example to us. He's a fine example of us, isn't he? An evildoer. Somebody who's done something wrong. Who does God desire to be saved and to come to a knowledge of him? Can you do something that is so wrong, so far gone, that God didn't know about it, and he can't save you from it? The man is a criminal. He's he's the lowest of the low, and he's hanging upon a cross, which means he probably was a murderer, an insurrectionist, somebody who has killed people to be crucified like that. Can you be so right that God will not have to forgive you? 
I think we, we pretty much covered that with going through some of those Ten Commandments, didn't we? None of us can be right before God, can we? As we're reminded of in Romans chapter 3, we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. And notice that, that this salvation, this paradise, is not being offered to the rulers. Those religious elite, it's not being offered to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, but to a criminal. Because it's not about how righteous we are. It's not about our good deeds somehow outweighing our evil deeds and and somehow overcoming them. God loves all the good deeds that we do. There's nothing wrong with those. We don't go to hell for our good deeds. It's our sin that separates us from God. It's not about how righteous we are because we aren't. So who can come before God and be saved? 1 Timothy 2.4 God our Savior, he desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Who is it that Jesus went to the cross for? Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for a few or one or me. You have your Bibles with you, don't you? That isn't what it says. Hebrews chapter 9, it says, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. He went to the cross for you. He knew your name before he laid the foundations of the earth. He he went to the cross for anyone who will come to him the same way that this criminal came before him. The same way this criminal did. What is it that, that made this man different that set him apart from all the other people who were there at that moment taking in the crucifixion? What is it that defined this man This criminal came to Jesus on God's terms. He came to Jesus with repentance and belief. Verse 41 says, And we indeed justly, we are being punished justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man recognized Jesus and acknowledged Jesus for who he is. Both in his sinlessness and in his lordship. He said to Jesus, he believes that Jesus is a sovereign Lord, that he is going to be coming into his kingdom. That he will be taking that throne after he is hung there on a cross. He'll be coming into that kingdom of God and taking his throne where he rightfully should be. Colossians chapter 1. 
Starting in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This man, this This criminal acknowledged Jesus and his lordship, his sovereignty that he'd be coming into his kingdom. He also acknowledged Jesus' sinlessness. In verse 41 he says, We are being punished justly, but this man, hanging upon this cross right here next to us, has done nothing. Nothing wrong. That at the cross, Jesus provides a sinless and perfect sacrifice in our place. That he pays the wages of our sin in his death and and therefore provides us with everlasting life. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life In Jesus Christ, our Lord. This this criminal acknowledged Jesus for his sovereign lordship and his sinless perfection. And intermingle with that recognition of who Jesus was, this criminal also realized his own imperfection, his own sinfulness before God. As As he sees who Jesus is, he sees who he himself is before God, before him. Verse 40, as one of the criminals railed at him, the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man's done nothing What sets this man apart from everyone else in this picture, in this passage, is his recognition of who Jesus is. His humble repentance before him. This man's recognition of his sin and just punishment, what he really deserved for his his deeds right along with his belief in Jesus, in the person that he was, and the works that he performed. And then he also had a reliance upon Jesus, didn't he? As we read in verse 42, it says, And he said, the, the criminal turns to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
He, he had a reliance upon Jesus. He said, remember me. That was his only hope, remember me. His only hope was the, the, the idea that Jesus as a sovereign Lord would remember him. It wasn't about his works. It wasn't about what he had done before. He knew full well that what he had done before this moment was evil and brought him to that cross. And what could he do after this moment? After this moment, he'd be dead, hanging there on a cross. There were no opportunities for him to do something to save himself before God. He was completely and utterly dependent upon Christ, upon Jesus' sinlessness and his sovereignty. He turns to Jesus and says, remember me. He throws himself at the Savior's feet. And this may have been a deathbed confession. This may have been a a last moment, a, a, a last opportunity. But it was by no means a casual confession, was it? It was heart searching and, and understanding. Because there is nothing flippant about the salvation that Jesus Christ provides for us. J.C. Ryle, a, a wonderful theologian and, and author, he said, We must not be content with a vague general belief that Christ's sufferings on the cross were vicarious. We are intended to see this truth in every part of his passion. We may follow him all through, from the bar of Pilate to the minute of his death, and see him at every step as our mighty substitute, our representative, our head, our surety our proxy, the divine friend who undertook to stand in our place and by the priceless merit of his sufferings to purchase our redemption. Was he flogged? It was done so that by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Was he condemned, though innocent? It was done so that we might be acquitted though guilty. Did he wear a crown of thorns? It was done so that we might wear the crown of glory. Was he stripped of his clothes? It was done so that we might be clothed in everlasting righteousness. Was he mocked and reviled? It was done so that we might be honored and blessed. Was he reckoned a criminal and counted among those who have done wrong? It was done so that we might be reckoned innocent and declared free from all sin. Was he declared unable to save himself? It was done so that he might be able to save others to the uttermost. Did he die at last and at the most painful and disgraceful death? It was done so that we might live forever and be exalted to the highest glory. Amen. Are are you as low as you can get? Do those sins weigh heavy upon your shoulders? Do they just keep coming back to try and drag you down? Are you like the criminal in our passage? 
Or perhaps you're, you're comfortable with where you are. Perhaps you're more like one of the rulers of Israel, like one who thinks that their salvation is simply inherited because my grandfather went to church and my father went to church and I was born in church, I, I, therefore I am saved. Perhaps we're relying more upon religion for our salvation. See, both these people, both these parties needed Jesus. But remember that only one person in this passage was promised life after death. Only one person here was promised paradise. Reconciliation to the God who created him. And it was the one who came to God on his terms with belief and repentance. The one who turned to Jesus, acknowledging him for who he is and recognizing his own sinfulness before God's perfection. Repentant, humble. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Anyone can come. There were two criminals there, weren't there? The only difference between the two criminals and eternal life is Jesus Christ. His sacrifice for us in our place. If you accept Jesus Christ, his sacrifice at the cross on your behalf, your sins get nailed to the cross and left behind. You bear them no more. You too can be a criminal taken to paradise. Dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, defined not by your past, not by your gender or your nationality or your social status, but defined by your faith in an almighty Savior, an almighty God, one who is mighty to save, who sent his Son to the cross that we would know the glory of salvation, not in and of ourselves, not by works that none of us should boast, but by his grace and his mercy on our behalf. Amen? How do we know, though, that this criminal received what he was promised? How do we know that he went to paradise that day? Chapter 24. Go to verse 1 with me. It says, But on the first day of the week, after three days, At early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as as they were frightened and bowed their faces... To the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. He is risen. Amen. Let's try that one more time. He is risen. Amen. And in that resurrection, we have a hope and a promise. In that resurrection, we rejoice to this day 
our Lord and Savior, there was no body found except the body that showed himself living to over 500 at once. He showed himself to the 12 who recognized him for who he was. Eyewitnesses who were willing to die because they knew what they knew to be true. They knew that he had risen beyond the shadow of a doubt, and he was the sovereign Lord that he claimed to be, as this criminal recognized. And humbly repentant before him was promised paradise. Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for sending your Son to the cross that we would know salvation. We thank you, Lord, for a perfect and a complete salvation that none could do better and none can take it away. For it is secure. We are sealed by your Holy Spirit and confident in your Son. We thank you, Lord, and we rejoice in this Easter morning, in this Easter day, this resurrection day. We thank you, Lord, that you have indeed taken us from Good Friday all the way to the resurrection and the hope and the promise that is in that. And so, Lord, I pray that we go forth and we rejoice and we take that out to those we know, that they too would know the hope we have. Give us strength, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.